Hello and welcome to episode 195 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Stanislav, my friend, it's good to see you two weeks in a row. It's, it feels, you know, it's weird. As I was, you know, I was gone two weeks, that felt like forever. But the gap in between last episode and this episode has also felt like forever. Maybe because I missed it. So, I don't know, you tell me. How have you been feeling this past week? Well, fall is setting in in yeah. greater Chicagoland. So, I'm feeling, do you guys experience like melancholy? And infinite sadness? Yes. The infinite sadness of, of autumn where it's just like the days are getting shorter and colder. The, the leaves are turning. I get, it has a very strong emotional impact on me. That's because it happened in one week this week. It was like summer last last time I spoke to you, and now it's like it's thirty five degrees outside right now, or whatever. My kids My, are cold. They have both. They both have colds uh, again, uh, and uh, it's children. it's been a week. Yeah, everybody's on breath treatments. People are staying home. So like Altoids. Stuff. Yeah, Altoids. You use the Altoids on your Deltoids. <laughs> <laughs> I just I don't like I don't like waking up in the dark. I'll tell you what I need like I need a sunrise lamp in my room. Because it's like six, it's six forty-five, and I'm just like, I want to keep sleeping. Yeah, I hate this darkness. I should also introduce the Godfather, Dave Harbarger. Oh yeah, yeah, the Bonnie Prince, Dave Harbarger, as they call me. Will, 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 old man. That's what I call you. Yeah, exactly. Will Oldham out there, known fan of the dive down. Hi, Will. It's good to see you. Yeah, he's hanging out with uh, the Mountain Goats. Yeah, Palace Music. Oh yeah, I forgot the Mountain Goats guy does does play magic. Hey, John, Don, John Darnell, if you're listening, get Will Oldham to play, too. Yeah, I think he'd be into it. I'm surprised Wizards of the Coast didn't latch on to John Darnell as the spokes per- per- the unofficial pop culture spokesperson of MTG the way they did with Post Malone. I think, you know what, I think, honestly, <laughs> there's, there's a lot more money in, like, the 40-year-olds that John D is, is well-known by. Yeah. And not the posties of the world. Just ranting on Twitter about bad matchups on, on arena <laughs> on main that's my favorite thing <laughs> on, main. <laughs> on this week's show we are once again exploring the people's metagame that's right we are looking at the latest modern deck dump in the post yorian environment and talking about every single 5-0 list that doesn't include yorian in a world without yorian because it is our sacred duty to just see what's going on without yorian in the wild world of modern leagues post yorian not featuring yorian i like to call this one the people's meta post noodle doodles that's good title oh perfect title title cement it cement it put it in before all that though let's housekeep we got a lot of great gracious people to shout out this week first we got some new patrons we got emma h ryan n and dylan t thank you thank you thank you for supporting the show also some astute listeners heard our super secret giveaway at the end of last week's episode where we encouraged people to make donations and they would get uh treats from stanislav closet of mtg curiosities that he's trying to get rid of and couldn't otherwise and even though giveaways weren't exclusive to donors there were some donors i want to say thanks to on the show so jason theoden drench five and immerstison and keith master keith master is always solid now these these are twitter handles but we know who they are and and we appreciate you just the same we have no new reviews this week but 
That should be a reminder to you, the listener who hasn't <laughs> left a review for us yet on iTunes, that it's time to just give us that five stars and tell us what the dive down means to you, how much you enjoy us on your commute, on your walks, while you're doing dishes, while you're showering with your Bluetooth speaker or your waterproof Sonos, your steamproof Sonos system. Okay, real talk. How, how many of you have a, a shower audio gear? I just, take my, I just take my phone in the shower. Okay, so you have an Android phone, so you can do that. Yeah, I don't do that. I have a Bluetooth speaker that can handle the steam. Yes. iPhones have to be waterproof. I, I, use, I have a Bluetooth speaker and my, and my iPhone. It depends on how, how lazy I'm feeling, like if I've remembered to charge my Bluetooth speaker. But yes, I had, I had a speaker, especially for listening to podcasts in the shower, too. You all do it. We know you all do it. Yeah, and, and you can leave us a review from the shower as well. They, they let me not be alone with my own thoughts. Five stars. <laughs> Have you? So, I, okay, second question about shower time. I, I saw this show ben, ben Platt was in on Netflix called The Politician. Have you seen this show? Yeah. Yeah, the Ryan Murphy show. Yeah, it's a Ryan Murphy show. And there's a scene in there where he is talking, you know, it's it's like a political satire sort of. There's a scene where he's in the shower talking with one of his political advisors and texting on his phone. And he has his phone in a Ziploc bag in the shower with him in order to not, you know, because I guess that it still can feel the, the touch, but mm-hmm. not the, uh, you know, that was like a bridge too far for me. Mm-hmm. I just want to yeah. say, do, do you guys put a phone in a bag and take it in the shower? No, my phone, my phone's waterproof. It's waterproof. Do a lot of people do this? And I just don't know. I've never done that. The okay. closest thing I've come to using my phone in shower bath time was... Like last spring, I got some really bad food poisoning and I was just in the mood to take baths. It was the only thing that made like my body feel a little better. And once I'm just sitting in standing water, I had a little table next to the the bathtub and I would like look at my phone sometimes that way with dry hands. But otherwise, no. Shower time is not texting time. I agree. What are, what are we doing, America? Anyway. We do have listeners all over the world, and they too can leave us reviews on iTunes. We see them from everywhere, Europe, Asia, Africa, the Middle East, Australia. If we have any listeners in in Antarctica, we'd love to hear from you too. South America, of course, lest we not forget the other Western Hemisphere continent. If you'd like to support our show financially, though, you can do so at patreon.com slash the dive down. You can also support us while playing magic with mana traders. If you play Magic Online, a Mana Trader subscription will get you 15% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards with promo code THEDIVEDOWN15. Yeah, check out Mana Traders. Um, I, I've noticed that there are a few fewer n- new folks getting into Mana Traders, and I want to remind you that it's the best. It is it is. Is the best. They have all the cards. They have the very quickly. They have the free tournaments that keep going on every month, even if we don't always talk about them. You get essentially you just get money for nothing if you, if you do moderately well at these. It's it's a really great way to participate in a Magic Online tournament that has no cost to entry at all, besides just renting some cards or using your own cards. Even you don't even have to pay Mana Traders for it. So yes, Mana Traders rules. Use the code the Dive Down fifteen for ten percent off your first two months. Now especially, such a fun time to play Magic Online. Um, Modern in particular, in the post-Yorian environment, people are trying new stuff. We're going to be talking about that, of course. But you're going to find, I think, that there's a lot of exciting strategies to test out. And Mana Traders just makes that so easy. Of course, 
You can also grab some paper cards over at Nerd Rage Gaming using code DIVE8 for 8% off your order over at Nerd Rage. You know them from the awesome uh, paper tournament series all around the Midwest, and our relationship with them lets our listeners get some cash off their order. So head on over to there. And this weekend, it's time for the Newark, Ohio tournament that we talked about uh, last week. So Team Trios, um, it's going to be Pioneer, Modern, and Legacy Trios, and then there is a Modern 5K on Sunday. So we're not going to do a deep dive into that as a preview this time, since it's real tough to see how the chips are going to fall without knowing who on what team is going to be doing what. Um, but we will be doing a breakdown of that tournament next week once we see the results. So please, if you are in Ohio, if you are near Ohio and you want to play some some magic, head out to the to uh, Newark, Ohio, near Columbus, get into the tournament. And then if you just want to watch some some magic, tune in this weekend on Twitch. We'll see you next week for a breakdown of that. All right, with all that out of the way, let's dive into the latest edition of the People's Metagame. We looked at Friday's deck dump. That is Friday, October 14th. The first full modern 5-0 league list that was published since the Yorian BNR on Monday. The timing of this was interesting just because there must have been a few people who 5-0'd with Yorian after the previous scrape that was published on Tuesday, but before the ban went into effect on MTGO. Yeah, the other thing that happens is people can be in the middle of a league when a ban happens and they do not kick you out of the league. So you can finish the league that you're in and then you can't re-enter. So that's how this happens. And there were, in fact, three Yorian Companion four-color decks that 5-0'd in this particular deck dump that we removed. Every once in a while, I really wish like a bunch of people who were at 4-0 with like a Luris or a Yorian, you know, just sort of just sort of hung out for like three months. (laughs) <laughs> and, then just, and then just reappeared before like the league forcibly closed on them. That, yeah. That is funny. That would be funny to see. So this duck dump, uh, this Stan mentioned it's from Friday 1014, had 65 decks total in it that made five O's. That is actually kind of small compared to some of the deck dumps that we've seen um, maybe earlier this year. For example, the one post Luris, I believe, had 75 decks in it so a little bit smaller deck dump than maybe we might normally be used to that's also a grand total of 62 once we remove the three people who actually had yorian as companions still at this point we're going to talk about the decks in this deck dump in the way that we kind of do which is we talk about the current mainstream as one category we're going to talk a little bit about which decks we think might have an up arrow in them, what we think is interesting in the list that we see, and then we're going to talk about things that we just say are kind of outside of the deck mainstream. We don't want to say rogues. We don't want to say any anything like that. They're kind of some of them are new and interesting decks that are on the way up. Some of them are pet decks. Some of them are decks that are sort of old meta decks that maybe we don't see that frequently in the meta anymore. Those are the two big buckets that we have. And the last thing I was going to say is we're going to talk about them in the order of the Goldfish Modern landing page. So if you go to the Modern area with Goldfish, that's the way we have these arranged. Um, So we didn't just kind of pick the order out of a hat. It's not really by our meta distribution. It's just what Goldfish says is the um, meta distribution right now. Is it accurate? Maybe. (laughs) Mostly. But um, I think this gives an interesting view of, of kind of what's happening uh, uh, without uh, Yorian at the top of the meta anymore. 
So with that in mind, why don't we hop into the deck that is at the top of the meta, according to Goldfish, and that is Blue Red Murktide. So there were two decks that were Murktide decks in this drop. One is Idea 13, and the other one is Colonismo. I will say one of these is very marginally a Murktide deck, but to me, <laughs> by reading it, it kind of felt like it belonged in this category. The Murktide Reason deck registered and 5-0'd by Idea 13 is basically standard Murktide. It's three Murktides, three Shredders. You know, those move around a little. Sometimes you have four of one or the other. Sometimes you cut other things, but it's kind of four DRC for um, for Ragavan. The thing that's interesting to me with this list is that it does not have... It only has two Spell Pierce, and sometimes I feel like we've been up on Spell, spell Pierce lately. But Murktide is Murktide is Murktide is Murktide without uh, tweaking going on. Anybody see anything interesting in this particular take on Murktide that we saw? I mean, the the main thing here for me and Stanislav, you played a lot more Murktide than I have, is that this version uh, has like it's four counter spells and a couple spell pierce, and that's really it in the main. Like it's not even running extra Archmage's Charm as some decks are. So I feel like in when you're playing this deck, what are you just planning on casting like one or two counter spells a game? And then just sort of like riding your threats to victory? Or do you think it's like you sideboard into a lot more? Well, I think this particular list is replacing Archmage's Charm with Blood Moon. And that's probably the equation that Idea 13 made, that basically Blood Moon's going to be more valuable against like the soupy decks than something like Archmage's Charm would be. And also Archmage's Charm is harder to cast if you're running a Blood Moon. For sure. So I, I actually think that's specifically what's happening here rather than, than them saying like, it's not a time for Archmage's Charm, period. Right. Yeah. Or like more spell pairs. I mean, I feel like Blood Moon has been slightly in and out of this deck, and now I feel like there's at least one to two in every copy I'm looking at for the past few weeks, and I'm guessing that's just a natural response to the domain madness that we're seeing around us. I think that's exactly what it was. And, you know, it was always a sideboard card, um, but domain has just kind of made it easier for Murktide to sometimes cheese opponents with an early Blood Moon if they if the Murktide player can do Ragavan on one that connects, that's a great way to ramp into Blood Moon. And then that Ragavan just also helps fix your mana for the rest of the game if if he sticks around. Worth noting, I said that there was four Dragon's Rage channelers in this. There's only three. So this deck is only running 13 creatures, which is, is interesting to me. It's a little bit, maybe slightly lighter on the creature count than you see sometimes here as well. All right, the other deck that was in this area was... So Colin Ismo is actually Colin's Mullen. And one of the first things that that happened after the Yorian ban is that Collins Mullen tweeted out, "Okay, Lutri is still good." With a, had a five zero with a Lutri one of deck, so it's a singleton deck, but it's really like a blue red spells plus good threats kind of deck. So it's got you know it's got a single Murktide Regent in it, it's got a single Ledger Shredder in it. I think I'm bringing the list up yeah. right now. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking at it. it's got eleven creatures. Some of the like classics, including Snapcaster Mage, Brazen Borrower, Subtlety, and Fury, and even like Talarian Terror and Jace Finn's Prodigy make an appearance here. Yeah. And this deck is actually even Jeskai. So yeah. it's got a couple of extra, you know, it's got Prismatic Ending, March of Otherworldly Lights, Manatithe, somehow, a couple of Planeswalkers, but it still kind of felt a little bit sort of attitudinally murk tidy to me. And so I threw it in here just for fun. But, um, Really, there's not enough spread going on in the Murktide list anymore for them to get more than one entry in a dunked up anymore. So that's where we are. Top of the meta, stable deck. It's Murktide, baby. 
Any thoughts on what's going to happen to Murktide in this new metagame? Do we have any gut reactions? What do we think? Up arrow, down arrow, sideways arrow? What do we think? The, the really hard thing is like how much more meta share can it realistically grab for a deck that I don't think is going to get more than like a few percentage points, if that, in, in terms of like actually potentially better. So I, I it's I think it's as an up arrow, but only because four color likely takes a slight dip. But again, I think this is like a game of inches for a for a pretty overall, I think, average-ish deck if you take the the wins of the losses there as you have to yeah can't just take the wins it that's so important to remember shane for you especially one of the interesting things about murktide too is i think it's fairly decent against a lot of the decks that were good against four color you know something like tron or scapeshift doesn't really love playing against counterspell and spell pierce uh certainly not blood moon or the occasional archmage's charm and for a long time murktide was the most popular deck in the format before the bans. And I think this proactive strategy that can just like protect a turn one Ragavan or Dragon's Rage Channeler or grind for a really long time with Ledger Shredder or close out games really quickly with a with a Murktide Regent, you know, with all just like on their face, good cards, expressive iteration, lightning bolt, unholy heat. This is just like a really safe bet in an uncertain metagame since it's such a proven entity. My thought is kind of similar my thought is a little bit like i don't think it'll get more meta share but we might see that bump that gets it back to 50 percent win rate let's see i don't know if you guys saw the results from the saturday modern showcase challenge three of the top eight decks were murktide regent including both finalists oh wow okay there you this, go now this was not the case in the sunday challenge that one the results are a bit more interesting but murktide had a big splash on saturday and i think that that kind of helps support the fact that this deck maybe actually is getting a bump because Teferi Time Reveler and Solitude are no longer quite as present. Omnipresent yeah. and, and the other top dog of the format. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's go on to the next deck. The next deck, according to uh, MTG Goldfish of MetaShare, is Hammer, Hammer Time. So there were two lists for Hammer Time in the 5 0 dump this time. There was a mono white list from Dan Bjorn and a what we could call Azorius, but really it's mono white plus like eight blue cards from John Parker 98. Um, I really didn't think that I saw anything too um, surprising about these lists. They felt pretty stock. Didn't feel like there was too many adjustments going on in response to Yorian being gone yet, but hammer has been getting popular, more popular again for a while. It's back. It's the second most popular deck in the format right now. Wow. And uh, here's where it is. Yeah, I feel like Hammer is like a known entity now. Like, there's not like a lot of new tech. I don't think you can really develop into this deck. I don't think it's a type of deck that people right now are going to like flock to. It's not new. It doesn't have like a lot of new tech to be added to it. I, I do like that a card like Blacksmith Skill has sort of finally become a stock choice because you know it's it's useful for you, but also it can fizzle stuff like creativity, which can be fun in in the nowadays meta and I, fun I like and the, silly I like, I like the two mana tithes in the sideboard of dan bjorn's deck sweet well that's about uh you know do a little uh force spike or something is that what it's called yeah oh i've been blown out by so many mana ties out of hammer time it's it's really annoying like when i'm on rhinos and you think you have it on turn three against a mono white deck and it's like all right i'm tapping out for my shardless agent and then it's boom mana tie you just feels like such a setback tough to fall asleep after that yeah. Yeah. And you know, I play at 11 o'clock at night. I think Hammer Time is really good right now. 
I the the fact that it's just like so fast and linear, and it has a couple different configurations now that can let you protect its plan in a variety of different ways. Like you can go for the blue splash to play things like spell pierce into fairy. You can stick to white and just rely on blacksmith skill and play, you know, a slightly more all in version onto the uh, of like Sigarda's aid combo. I I actually think like this is a great choice in the short term to kind of just beat up on people who are experimenting or trying to be greedy with bad mana that like forces them to play a turn too slow in some cases. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I kind of think that Hammer was already towards the top. It was already gaining a lot of popularity. So similar to Murktide, I feel like there's not a lot of space for necessarily, I don't think more people will pick it up. But I do think that it could get a little bit of a win rate bump just from there being less solitudes around, a little bit less, slightly less leyline binding, maybe. But we'll see. Do you guys ever do this the thing that I do, which is when I, when I think about like the realistic impact on the meta of like in terms of a deck getting more or less popular or more or less powerful, I think, would I ever pick this up? Because I kind of see myself as, you know, a normal casual spike type person. You're not. And, and, and well, you're right. I do have a podcast. I'm, I'm, I'm below, I'm below normal in terms of the casual. <laughs> yeah, you're spike way in below it. average. So, so let's, let's look at, so what I'm getting at is like a deck like hammer or, you know, eventually we'll talk about a deck like yog moth or like, you know, breach or something like that. And I'm like, I'm not going to pick that stuff up. Like, I'm not, I'm not good at that. Like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not good enough to play those decks. What a wild, I mean, I think hammer is much more pick upable than Yawgmoth and breach personally. I mean, I think it, I think it is, but I think you have to, I think just like the other decks, I think you have to work harder to be good at it. Sure. But I think it's a totally, I think you can still cheese out some wins with hammer that maybe you won't even be able to do if you pick up breach for the first time and try to play it. But, um, that's just my take. I think that there's a, I think that there is a chance that more people would flock to this as a baseline for their deck that they love in modern than some of those other choices. I also think you guys need to acknowledge that four color control was really popular. And yeah. we've seen so many tournaments where it was the most popular deck in the room. And if that deck isn't going to retain that much of its player base among the more spiky, less casual competitors, they have to go somewhere. And I think Hammer is just like a very logical place for some of those players to end up. I, you know, at, at some point, didn't Kruger oh, put down yeah. Hammer and start playing four color among other things like he he won his mocks with with scape shift as a as a hedge Medical. against four color but yeah you know i think it's players of that ilk the nrg competitors that we talk about that i think are going to be a little bit more interested in hammer time as a as a way to maybe utilize their format knowledge to to win fast and aggressively with a with a deck that can sometimes be pretty hard to interact with but again, you know, I do try to look at this when we have episodes like this through the lens of like the people's meta. And I think about like LGSs and I think, you know, maybe uh, the store championships I know have been happening recently for those sweet, sweet like Omnath cards and things like yeah. that. So I try to like, you know, I do try Smooth to separate it from, Omnath. The, from the MTGO uh, metagame, which, you know, does does differ. But anyway, but that's just that's just a side little side note. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about this next deck because I have a very different assessment of it than the two of you. 
and that's indomitable creativity. Yeah. Two copies of creativity in this deck dump, one from MVP 12, which is playing the very Vogue five color version right now with Leyline Binding, plus Persists, uh, Transmogrify. Um, so in total, about seven ways to cheat an Argon Archon into play. And the other version was Volpert on Grixis, going for, you know, more counter magic and disruption that way. And it gets to play hard evidence, so it's strictly a better deck. That evidence is hard. It's hard to deal with. Yeah. In the court of law and public opinion. Can, can we talk a little bit about like what's going on with the persist transmogrify selections here? Like I kind of have I've heard both both reasons to play both cards. And you know, mm-hmm. people like have people like canister, like I just don't like transmogrify and I run some persist, but like are there strengths and weaknesses that you all could appreciate here, or is just kind of like, hey, here's some extra cards that might come in handy from time to time? Well, there's several cards here that almost combo with persist. And the best thing you can do with it, I mean the only thing you can do with persist is get an archon that gets in the graveyard. But the ways you get archon in the graveyard are with four Fable of the Mirror Breaker, three Prismari Command, and it's even playing a singleton is a charm. Yeah, and don't forget the other way that you get Archon in the graveyard is if somebody owns Holy Heats, <laughs> basically, and then and then you have Persist to bring your to bring your Archon back. So there's even just that, and I think that's part of the reason that we're here with Persist. You know, we want a little bit more ability to do a Polymorph effect. So we put one Transmogrify in, and then the two Persists are there to be outlets for value for your discard because with four Archons in your deck, you are going to draw them, and you don't want the only outlet to be. Um, to be hard casting them. So from there, you end up pretty quickly thinking, well, can I do something with one that's in the graveyard? And that's how you get to persist. So um, I think it makes a ton of sense to look at all of them. It's kind of a rule of eight type of thing, right? You are close to eight effects that bring Archon into play. They're all conditional in different ways, but that's how it works. So what are your thoughts about this deck? Like, I I personally am just kind of like, I think people are gunning for this deck much more aggressively than they were even like two weeks ago. Like we know like Orvar is everywhere, even in decks that can't even hard cast it. And I just sort of feel like when you're living in that kind of world, like you know that you're you're, you're being targeted and that's not going to do anything to make this deck better. Yeah, not just Orvar. We're seeing Hallowed Moonlight pop up a lot which is good against this i think some other things honestly i know people don't like it because it costs two mana but yeah yeah it's good um unmoored ego is another one that's appearing in a lot of sideboards as a way to just like get rid of all the archons and force them to just try to win by any means necessary i think one of the reasons people are gunning so it's so hard for it so hard is because the deck is so good and i think it's in the running for new best deck in in part because it's so malleable you know, it can play a bunch of colors. It can just play two colors or three colors. It can find different ways to, you know, opt for different types of interaction and removal. It's not beholden to some of the restrictions that Cascade decks might be, for instance. It can just play like a Flusterstorm or it can play a Prismari Command and everything in between. So I, I really like Indomitable Creativity's prospects moving forward, but for the fact that I think so many people recognize how great it is and that's why they're digging deep for the Orvars of the world to deal with Archons. Or even like Leyline of Sanctity. Like, you know what I mean? Like that that gets rid of the targeting trigger and stuff like that. So like, it's not, you know, lights out by any means, but it's just another piece 
of sideboard tech that you're seeing more against Recto Scam. It helps against Archon Trigger. It's just a bunch of little things I think are going to add up. I think Orvar is not long for this world. I think now, I think that we're going to have a little bit less incidents of this deck. I do think that, you know, I don't think it's a bad deck now. I just think it's going to become a little less prevalent than it was. And so having a card in your sideboard that is just for for creativity is going to get harder again to do, I think. Um, that doesn't mean the deck's bad. You know, I, I think that the best Ren and Six deck is probably the next deck on our list. So we'll talk about that in a second. But Question. What do you think the Yorion ban has to do with whether or not creativity is sticking around? I think it's just just has to do with the fact that it was really good against that it was really good against four color against Yorian. Basically, you know, it was a it was a way to get to get ahead against Yorian, the four color Omnath decks. And I think that when other decks rise to the top of the meta, it's gonna get a little bit harder. Like there are decks that can get under it. Like if if Hammer keeps getting better. You know, Hammer is not exactly a great matchup for, for this deck, I I wouldn't think. You know, Scam is not really a great matchup for this deck, I don't think. So there's there's problems there. Yeah. I mean, I do think that it probably has a favored matchup against Murktide. And that's one of the things that I can kind of see this propping up. I don't think it does either because because you really are not great against counterspells with Dude. this. And so... You're playing three spell peers and fluster storms and veil of summer on the side. I actually think this is pretty yeah. good against counterspell decks. I, I mean, I've constantly lost <laughs> lost to to Murktide with with creativity, but I have lost to basically everything with creativity. Yeah, and, but and like turn two Ren and six on the play is just is good against Murktide in general, and I think it's just so good against the format. It's it's in my opinion maybe the best turn two play in the format. Sure, maybe that's not that hot of a take, even. Yeah, I think that's true. So I just think this is going to have a little down arrow next to it. I don't think it's bad. Like I sure. said, I just think it's going to be less prevalent. So we'll see. We'll see. We will see. There's a lot of people who are into it now, though. We will. Oh, my God. Creativity, like finally an expensive card. Very oh. expensive. I'm glad I bought I bought I bought two foils, two regulars a little bit like when it started going up. And now I'm wealthy. How much does it cost now? Thirty three dollars per copy. Per copy. It was like a five dollar oh. card until what September? I think I paid eight dollars for the ones I got in February. Yeah. Nice. All right. Can we move on, my friends, to I guess the new versions of the actual color. best Ren and Six deck. I'm sticking mm-hmm. with it. Four color Omnath variants. We have a 60 card Kahira Risen Reef, like Elementals build by Gregory Tronchin. And then we have a 60 card Kahira sort of four color control deck by Respect the Cat. And I think we should just really talk a little bit about, about how these, these versions differ from the 80 card versions that people were running just like a few months ago. Like, you know, Corey B was writing articles about how four color Elementals. It took him to the finals of some large events and things like that. And, you know, so we just have 20 fewer cards to work with. And I'm seeing things like Eternal Witness being gone, Utopia Sprawl, Ella Damry's Call, Ice Fang Coatl, anything even like Oath of Nyssa, shaving a bit like on Bolt and Ephemerate and Abundant Growth. It's just kind of like a leaner version of the old deck, but like losing Call is a 
big deal. Yeah, I mean, I will say some people still preferred 60-card elementals to the Orion builds before. And so I think the deck we're looking at here from Gregory Tonchin or Tronchin, Tronchin is kind of where the we shouldn't be surprised that it's settled here, at least that someone's still trying to do this because this deck was not touched by that. You know, it's still powerful. It's got all your pitch elementals. It's got Risen Reef as an engine for value in the same way that kind of, you know, similar to what Yorian provided to the 80 card decks. The thing that's weird about these decks, or maybe we shouldn't be too surprised because I'm not that familiar with all of the elemental lists is like, it doesn't run EI, for example, it still runs abundant growth, but it only runs it as a two of, which is something that's still pretty surprising to me in a deck that has four red and six. It's like, do we really need the extra mana fixing? I, I don't know. I mean, creativity gets away without it. And this, you know, that wants one more color than this. So uh, we'll see, but I feel like this deck is going to be a player still, and maybe it's going to be this elemental version for now instead of something that's more like the other deck with the control. But um, that's that's kind of the baseline here now, I think, is Omnath, value, elemental piles, with even Titania being a thing that drives late-game value for you. I mean, but we are looking at the control version by Respect the Cat right here, you know what I mean? Yep. Where it's the heavy planeswalkers and has some... Some, uh, just a few creatures, you know, mostly Solitude and Omnath, and just you know a pile of interaction in counter spells and Unholy Heats and Prismatic Endings, and even has you know the a Singleton Eldamri's Call. The most interesting thing to me about both of these lists is that they don't have Leyline Binding anymore, really. So the Gregory Elemental version has zero Leyline Binding. The Respect the Cat version has a single Leyline Binding in the main. That's it. They've kind of gone back to Prismatic Ending as being their removal card, white removal card of choice. Yeah. Also, Solitude and Fury. As well as, like, Unholy Heat. Yes. Well, I'm, I'm just saying they, they've gone away from that as their spell base, but they're, they're leaning into the pitch cards, which mm -hmm. makes sense, you know? Yeah, and, and I, I wonder if part of that's just because, like, they have to play a certain number of basics um, in the mana base, and a mana base that can, like, that, that needs uh, a handful of basics to just kind of support its plan to hedge against things like Blood Moon, for instance, just doesn't really parallel with Leyline Binding effects. Where sometimes you'll just like have the worst opener for leyline binding, and you can like kind of do everything else, um, or like abundant growth, for instance, lets you kind of do everything except your your binding effects, and you're just like counting on solitude to to kind of deal with whatever problems arise. Totally, totally agree. I just think this deck is you know listed as fourth on MTG Goldfish's meta share. I think that I don't know if it's going to go. I mean, I think it's going to be right around fourth from here. It'll be in that zone, and I think it's still going to be really popular. Yeah, I mean, personally, I never was interested in the Yarion decks, but the 60-card Kahira control version, like the Respect to Cat deck, is actually really interesting to me. It's so hard for me to imagine a scenario where, you know, Ren and Six Teferi and Omnath in a deck together is bad. I know, right? Seems like it's going to be good until they print better cards in in uh, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I mean, yeah. If anything, I'm more apt to want to take this deck out for a spin just because I do not like dealing with like the long game value generation plan of Yorian decks. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, this has a lot of those same concepts, of course, but it's at least a slightly shaved clock, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'm any more 
interested in picking up now that feels like a little bit like the the most hipster response possible is to be like, well, I like it, I like it after. I'm willing to play it after <laughs> Dorian's band even. I just think the people who like these cards are still going to be able to play with them mostly. I just don't own Ren and Six, so it's never happening. Yeah. 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 Let's talk about decks I do want to play, though, please. Yes. So, fifth on the list, Rakdos Mid. Uh, so, two lists here. One of them is Rakdos Elementals Undying. That's by Pathius84. And then there's a Rakdos mid-range, just like a real mid-range deck from Amplum, Amplum Nox that I almost put in the Rogues because it does not have the Undying combos in it. But I left it here just because um, it's easier to talk about all these cards all at once. So, Scam. Scam. Here it is. Please, uh, Rakdos Ephemerate. Yeah, I mean, Elementals. Uh, Ra- Ra- Rakdos Evoke. Undying. Please, please, Red Black Blink. <laughs> I like that too. So let's start with this. This this list is the Pathius 84, the, the Rakdos Blink list, is stock for what we discussed last week. It's got less one-ofs. It's more like that second list that we talked about. There's only seven copies of Undying Effects across two cards. You know, there's three Feign Death and four Undying Malice. We're not messing around with Malicure Rebirth in this list. We're not messing around with un, you know, the other one, which I forget the name of, from Dark Ascension. It's got Fable and Season Pyromancer. It doesn't have Kroxa. This is very close to the young Dingo. No, is the, that, that person's person, name? No, that person uses two Malachir Rebirth. They they actually kind of uh, still issue. I think they have like a Kroxa still. So okay, it's just it's all over the place. Like you yeah. know, the 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 Dingo person who is like a the people have been using their Patreon guide recently to good success. It looks like, um, but this is how I would build this deck or very similar to this build i'd probably still figure out a way to shave one or two cards and get maybe one or two more lands in there but largely i think this is this is a nice smooth core it's that's doing what i think this deck wants to be doing yep this is very close to the list that I ran in my second, my the mythical list I ran in my second league last week that we talked about a bunch. Um, the most interesting thing to me is that even though we know the deck is popular and even though we know that it's getting good results, you know, it was all over the challenges this week, the showcase challenges this weekend. This is the only list that has this combo in the deck dump this week, which makes me feel like lots of other people are starting to get within. 10 to 15 cards of this list. So I think that the list here is starting to consolidate around one thing as well. Second, there is a an RB just mid-pile, as we mentioned, and that is by Amplimox. I'm not going to go too deep into this one. It's just not it's just not the ephemerate list. It's RB mid, no fables. It's got Liliana the Veil, Dragon's Rage Channeler, Bauble, Kroxa. I'm not sure if this is what Sp- what space is going to be open in the metagame for some reason right now, but it's interesting to see someone be able to take a mid-range deck like this to a 5-0, and I'll be curious to see if it happens more. When we look at sort of outside the mainstream decks later on, there's actually a big pile of mid-range decks of different constructions that got 5-0s within the stack dump, and so it'll be interesting to see if there's even more of that, uh, people iterating in that space. My friends, isn't isn't this really just a Merc Tide strategy with worse cards. Like, like, why would I, why would I play this over scam? Why would I play this over Merc Tide right now? Besides just a, a forever love of Rakdos cards. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, we can say the same thing about a deck that's coming up later, perhaps, and we will talk about it towards the end of the mainstream. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think the reason you play it over Merc Tide is turn one thoughts. could be better against things like 
creativity or some of the other combo strategies that can sometimes beat a Merktide with the well-timed spell pierce. I also think that it's Rakdos midrange is the strategy that inexplicably does well every few months in both leagues and bigger tournament settings, but never really becomes like a ongoing force within the metagame. Case in point, the Sunday challenge third place had a red black skeletal deck. Yeah. Well, that was, that was Young Dingo, right? Uh, no, that was Raleigh Ox. Okay. And it's like, it, it looks exactly like this mid-range deck we're talking about now by Amplumnox, except Raleigh Ox, I wonder if they're related, just threw in a play set of Lightning Skelementals and, and shaved on some other cards, including Liliana. So people like to unearth, I guess. Yeah, interesting. Well, so what do we think about Scam or Elementals? going forward here. I mean, the only thing I think is going to make this deck worse as well is people beginning to shore up their sideboards more against it because it's more popular. Like, I think there were five copies and four copies in the weekend challenges in the top 32s. Like, that's quite a bit for a deck like Scam. Like, people are playing this in legitimate tournaments now. Yeah, I think this deck is going to get continue to get more popular, personally. And does, I mean, does popularity always make it worse? I feel like I mean, this is a deck, I think, that has some holes in the strategy, like with a little bit more graveyard hate or a few more like Leyland of Sanctities or things like that, then I do think this loses a little bit of power. Yeah, though I feel like the graveyard hate you really need to play for this deck is Leyland of the Void, because a turn to rest in peace is probably too slow. Or it's like maybe if you're on the plane, play a, a Nihil Spellbomb or Relic or, you know, one of the cheap artifacts that could also do it, but... If you're on the draw, sometimes waiting until your turn one is already too late. Are you allowed to play like zero cost cards uh, in a, as a pregame action? Tormod's Crypt pregame <laughs> action? You're allowed to try, and your opponent's <laughs> allowed to call the judge. <laughs> I play it. Anyway, we got up next. Uh, Stan, do you, want, do you want to talk about this? Have you, have you heard of these decks? The Cascade decks, yes. What is Cascade? Are... Can you read the rules text for me? No, um, I can I can kind of vaguely describe it to you. There's three Cascade decks in this deck dump, two Crashing Footfalls decks and one Living End Strategy. Among the two Footfalls decks, one is this newer five-color version with Sign of Draco, Teferi Time Leveler, and Leyline Binding, along with the typical Footfall package. And then the other one is the more traditional teamer build with four borrower, as well as a couple Jace the Mind Sculptor, which is a flex, a flex move, in my opinion. We're going to win with a different card, but not really. Yeah, we're, we're going to beat the control decks that try to Teferi and Chalice us out of the game, basically. Right. Um, and then the third Cascade strategy here is Living End by Meninone, who is a Cascade pro and a Magic Online pro. Um, and a pretty typical version of Living End in general. Cascade decks. Moving forward, I give them two thumbs up. Yeah, I do too, I think. Um, I will say, for those people who don't want us to lump these together, that's fine. They just actually were pretty much next to each other in the Goldfish meta as well. It was sort of like Living End, then I think then Burn, then Crashing Footfalls. So I just put them together here to talk about it once. So there's... We're, there We no longer believe that these are really <laughs> that much the same, but they're still... Did we know. have a 
we have glimpse anywhere in this? I didn't know if I saw a glimpse when I was looking through this whole list. I didn't see a single glimpse of tomorrow deck in this list. No. Sad. Surprising a little bit. Yeah. So you think this has an up arrow and why is that, Stan? I think the flexible mana base lets you approach this strategy with a couple different plans that can still really proactively and effectively do turn three cascade into something like rhinos or living end for that matter. I think the popularity of scam and if we're going to see more graveyard hate that could get in the way of living end and, and provide some splash damage. I, I can actually see living end maybe dropping off a bit because my understanding was that it did have a decent four color matchup and that probably helped to some extent. And I, I like the Merktide side of the Merktide living end matchup. Whereas footfalls, these five color versions I found have actually improved the plan against some of the decks that I used to really struggle with, including Merktide and just regular Azori's control with Teferi and Chalice. So the flexibility in the Footfalls deck makes me think that it has a lot of potential moving forward, whereas sort of the one-note linearity of Living End that might get a little splash damage from what else is happening in the format, to me, suggests that it, it could just stay stable, if not decline, for a bit. All right, Great. next on the list... Burn. We have Hot. one burn list from S. Sejemba, and it was a stock list. Basically, it looked exactly like the way I would expect burn to look. Nothing too spicy, nothing too new. Um, what did you all think about this list? What do you think about burn right now? Eh. What are burn's good matchups besides like maybe creativity, may- maybe rhinos? Does it have a good matchup against Titan? Like, I don't really know I what burn's so. good against. I don't actually think it's that good against Titan personally. Um, is, isn't it good against Scam? Maybe. Uh, it's probably good against Grinding Station. I actually think it can sometimes even like steal wins from Blue White Control, especially post board. Yeah, I feel like you know probably has like some creature interaction that would frustrate the Grinding Stations like super early wins. So there's there's an option there potentially. I, I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. I think Roiling Vortex is actually just good against everyone. Just good against so many decks. It's just, yeah, but, it's but just, it costs two mana and then can do, it can do no damage. You know what I mean? If someone has the right piece of interaction for it. so but No, but it always does one damage. And who's bringing in interaction for Roiling Vortex? It's like a one of Basaju in most decks is, is all you can really count on. But then if if you answer the, the Roiling, Roiling Vortex, then, then Eidolon will get you. You kind of have to spend your Versages on Eidolon and let Vortex stick around and no one ever respects it. Yeah, I mean, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> I think it definitely causes problems sometimes, but other times, like, against Footfalls, yes, you might just have enough life to be able to still cascade off, and then what do you care about rolling Vortex once you once you have it going? So, Yeah, I mean, I think it's... I think it's good against like less prepared players and against certain situations, but like, yeah, I know, I know that you're, you're beating the drum of, of rolling vortex. And I think you're, you're not wrong there, but I think it has much like a card, like even let's say uh deflecting palm where it's like, I think there's high upside and then like near uselessness. If someone knows how to potentially play around it or prepare for that card. So, but burn right now, I do think that it's going to be hurt in the meta a little bit because people had discovered that it was pretty good against four color and with supposedly less four color or less really dirtily four color, at least I think that burn will lose a little bit of its edge of what it, whatever edge it has right now. 
and, and so, it, sh- it should it should go down and represent like we you know we've never seen it with like a legitimately good win rate it's just something that people like to do because it's fast and fun and cheap and those are all good aspects of a deck kind of reminds me of this next deck that people will always turn to whether or not it's good and that's amulet titan there's amulet. only one version of titan here by andy sc wilson playing a very stock to cultivator colossus deck I have a big down arrow next to Titan personally. And, and and I think I'm more conservative than the two of you guys, but I feel like the addition of Leyline Binding in particular, as well as some of the decks that are good against Leyline Binding, both spell disaster for Titan right now. Just having I mean, like it definitely this, could. Having this one mana instant speed interaction that can also hit both Titan, Amulet, or Dryad. Just like feels like whichever one of those cards you're nervous about in any particular point of the game, like you can just deal with it outright. Not to mention we we see more decks, including Scam for that matter, playing main deck Blood Moons right now. I just kind of feel like Titan is in a in a pretty precarious spot. Yeah, the only thing I have to say about that is that I agree with what you're saying. I think that it's hard to get people who really love Amulet off of the deck. Yes. So I feel like it's going to be around still. And who are we to tell people what not to play? Right, exactly. Nobody. I do think that having the the four-color list that we looked at earlier that no longer have binding in them make me wonder a little bit about where binding is really going to end up in the format at this point. Because if you look at this list, you know, it's Crashing Footfalls and Creativity are the two lists that we've talked about so far that still run Leyline Binding, and they don't add up to as as significant a portion of the meta so as far. it used to so far. So We're let's what, see twenty twenty percent through these through these decks, if that. Uh, yeah, I don't think there's a whole lot more coming with it, at least in the top half of the meta. But let's see, let's see. So I think what you said was really made a lot of sense as far as Titan goes versus Leyline Binding. I do think there's going to be less Leyline Binding around than there was before. We'll see. We'll see. Next up on the list, Yogmoth, Young Gert with a 5-0 <laughs> on Yogmoth, the only one in the deck dump, again, to stock list, to stock list. I mean, there's a Shieldred in the sideboard now. Is that stock now? Yeah, I, cool. I, don't, I don't think so, because last week I saw Demonic Tutors post about playing in a challenge with Yogmoth with a shieldred in the side and the screenshot of his deck list on Twitter just had a circle around the shieldred and said never again in the picture. <laughs> so I don't know if it's going to become sta- it's going to become uh, stock. Yeah, but what does Demonic Tutors know about Yogmoth anymore? Right, yeah, boomer, total Yog boomer. So this is a deck that all three of us have up arrows for. Yes, are you looking at the notes too? You're in there. In those I'm notes? in there. I'm in there. Personally, I feel like this is just one of those decks that's going to keep getting better. As long as like the Fury decks remain in check, or at least decks like Rhinos, for instance, where it's Fury plus big bodies that are tough for the Persist creatures to get through early in the game. Um, not to mention, it's one of those skill-intensive decks that as more people pick it up and get some practice with it, like I can kind of see it being a mainstay of top eights in general. Because it can, it can also be like somewhat hard to interact with. Post board, you might want to bring in things like Leyline or Rest in Peace, and then you just have no way to to actually get creatures into the opponent's graveyard, and they'll still beat you down with their young wolves. Yeah, Grist, or or they'll just like find their one Grist. They'll they'll cord for Grist, and you're like, oh god, 
look at all these insects. What am I supposed to do now? Nothing. Nothing. They, pro- they probably play Visejo as well to deal with your graveyard hate. Yep. I'm just I'm just assuming. I don't actually know. I mean, I I think that 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 makes sense to me. I I just I feel like Yogmoth has a little bit more space with less solitudes running around. Now we'll see how much less there, how many mm-hmm. less of the four color decks that there are. But with less solitudes, less bindings, prismatic. Like you said, le- yeah. you know, prismatic. Like I think it'll be prismatics that are harder to cast to get rid of Yogmoth specifically. Yeah. So we'll see. I, I do like this deck going forward, though, still. It has had a leveling off of its performance, but I think it could come back. All right. Next up on the list, generic control decks. Mostly blue-white. Mostly blue-white control decks. Um, there's two Azorius control. One is from LVC, and the other one is from Snappy72. Um and then there's an is it control deck that I threw into this bucket just so we could talk about blue base control all at once. That's basically Blue Moon, and that is from Palu. Um, the two blue white control decks are kind of interesting. You know, the one from LVC is really a normal blue white control deck. It's got a splash for red for fire from Fire and Ice, but there's no leyline binding. There's no Narset Days undoing. There's no Chalice. It's just kind of a lot of counter magic and what we, you would expect. Yeah, uh, I would also just mention Prismatic Ending likes the the red splash too. Right, good point. Yeah, you want to make that to be able to, able to get three. Yeah, three pips whenever you can. But yeah, this deck is pretty similar. It's spell based blue control. Uh, only planeswalkers in this one are Teferi. There's only there's four Solitude. There's a Kahiro, the Orphan Guard in the sideboard as your companion, just to be able to kill people with three two, I guess. And um, yeah, that's the way that it goes. This other list is the one that is sort of ridiculous and interesting. This is one of the other decks that has decided it wants to run Leyline Binding. And so it's a blue-white Azorius Control, all blue and white pips, except for it has Leyline Binding in it because it's it can go and fetch up the Triumphs that it needs to to turn Leyline Binding on. Um, this deck has Teferi Time Raveler, Jace the Mind Sculptor, Teferi Hero of Dominaria, four Counterspell, four Archmage's Charm, Supreme Verdict, Chalice of the Void. This is your kind of big Planeswalker control um, yeah. control deck. The deck that makes you not want to play Magic anymore. Depending on who you are. Yeah, depending on which co-host you are. I think this deck is pretty cool. Yeah. I, I actually really like the the binding version because this is the type of deck that can afford to just like tap out and play slowly and, and develop a, a mana base while also having some protection from opponents early plays by virtue of solitude and subtlety even even early prismatic endings if if you need to deal with something like ragged van drc other yeah. other cheap creatures one thing that's really interesting here is that the solitude the only white cards in this deck are Leyline Binding as a 4-of, Prismatic Ending as a 4-of, Supreme Verdict as a 2-of, Teferi Hero of Dominaria and Teferi Time Reveler as 5 between those, and then 4 Solitude. So there is a lot of, um, you know, there's, there's plenty to be able to pitch to Solitude, but it's all removal spells. Don't forget the most important Solitude fodder, Kahira at the Orphan Kahira. Guard. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, And, and, and you said, you know, Kahira to beat down to the 3-2, that's maybe 50% of her application? Yeah. Totally fair. Pay three mana to be able to pitch pitch to solitude later. Yeah. Makes yeah, makes sense for sure. I think these decks are kind of a small portion of the meta. They're probably gonna stay a small portion of the meta, I think, personally, but um they're good looking lists. 
they they also really struggled against four color control and that potentially might not be a problem anymore. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons why I gave it an up arrow in general. Yeah. I have a sneaking suspicion these might end up being better control options than like the Yorian free four color control decks. And so I wouldn't be surprised if people are playing these a bit more. All right. You guys want to talk about Blue Moon? Sure, we can talk about it for a minute. I considered putting it in the rogues, but yeah. why not talk about it here? I mean, yeah, I respect the Blood Moon, but... Yeah, the full grip. Is this, is this really what you're doing the most with Blood Moon? Like, it seems it just seems weird, like it's tacked into the control strategy. I don't know. I could be wrong here. I don't know either. But you used to play Blue, Blood Blue Moon. Yeah. Yeah, when it was a remand deck with Thing in the Ice. It was it was the year 2017, Shane. Yeah, long, the rules were different. Yeah. Modern Horizons didn't exist. Yeah, I mean, this, this is definitely a deck that I can't imagine being better than other options that run many of the same cards, but not in the same deck. Yeah, it's so it, it is still playing 10 creatures. We got four Ragavan, four yep. Fury, two Snapcaster Mage. Snapcaster Mage, a $25 card now. Oof. Crazy, crazy. But... Yeah, I guess what you're saying is like, Shane, why play this over Merktide Regent? Yeah, I mean, or just why play it over probably 80% of the rest of the format? Like, I just, you know, I just don't know. I mean, I'm not trying to like badmouth uh, Palu, who I'm sure is a lovely player. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like, why play this over Blue-White? In, in my opinion, the reason you might go for this is to have something like a turn one Ragavan that is sometimes just good enough when it's backed with Spell Pierce, Spell Snare, and counter, other counter spells. But also, blue-white doesn't have access to expressive iteration. Um, and I think that's a really big draw for is it decks right now. Not to mention the Blood Moon as, as maybe just a medical. Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. And, and Fury, too. Like, shout out to Fury as this, in the running for the best board wipe in the format. I mean, especially if something like Hammer keeps getting bigger. You know, it's yeah. a pretty good card against their early game. And uh, so, yeah, there's lots of... It gets pretty good against other decks too so it's good it's good Jerry. all right let's let's talk about something new ish new ish so b- the last car deck that i think is making its way into the mainstream meta is actually there's two that i would love to to talk about really quickly as part of the mainstream meta the first one is grinding breach station lots of hype around this lately the version that made it into this deck dump is from zildjian 88 mm, a drummer a drummer Mana Symbols Nemesis, Zildjian 88. <laughs> so I finally got to play against this deck at least okay. once. Maybe I got paired against it twice even, because I, I got to do a few leagues last week. Deck is good. Deck is so good. I, there was a couple times where I'm like, all right, I, I'm, I've stabilized. I've answered all their, their cards. They've got like one or two cards in hand. No big deal. And then it's like, boom, Underworld Breach, you lose. I'm just going to... I'm just going to do it all. Underworld Breach plus a grinding station. You're 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 never taking another turn. Yeah, Oof. kind of kind of impressive, and in, in, in just like the pairing of the turn one Ragavan strategy, just kind of being good by itself, plus Ledger Shredder as a as a big roadblock that also gets you to your deck that can then eventually start swinging because you like putting non-creature spells into your graveyard since you have like extra baubles. Um, uh, Mox Ambers, you know, even like the one of Springleaf Trump sometimes, whatever. Um, and it's just like, it'll have this really early intense development phase that then 
if the games do go long and your opponent does find a way to kind of just like present an, a threat or a proactive strategy, sometimes they'll just like unholy heat to, to slow you down by a couple turns and then eventually they'll find their underworld breach or they don't even need to come off with underworld breach. You can just play it for value sometimes to recast certain cards you need to stabilize and then find eventually your second underworld breach thanks to things like express, expressive iteration or ledger shredder to just like dig you through so much of your deck that you're always seeing at least 20 cards. Yeah. Deck is very much on the way up. You know, Todd Anderson won an RCQ this weekend with the red green version of this deck. Yeah. I think Ross, Ross Merriam lost in the quarters semis of the same tournament where it was a two slot tournament where if he and Todd had met in the finals, they would have both gotten RCQ bids. Um, He's also been a proponent of the deck for a long time. Of course, Jesse Robkin has been a proponent of the deck for a long time. You know, the version that's here by Zildjian88 is a Jeskai version. It has Teferi Time Raveler in it. It has some white sideboard cards. There's the blue-red version that we're all very familiar with. And then over the last couple of weeks, there's been this deck that's been a red-green one with Renin 6 and other good cards from Aspiring Spike that's been getting prominence as well. Yes, yeah, so Spider Space actually came in 13th place um, on one of the weekend challenges with this teamer version too. And and as far as I can tell, the only difference with the teamer version is that it plays Ren and Six instead of Teferi Time Reveler. That that's just kind of it. Maybe I'm missing another subtle change, but Well, I know that Spike's version plays Grape Shot, so it tries to storm off mm-hmm. instead of casting like galvanic blast or lightning bolt over and over again th- that's been you know. in the deck though like that was also in some of the is it and jeskai versions yeah i think that grape shot's been gone for a minute from these decks but they're just looking for another win con without thassa's oracle mm-hmm. basically you know and so that's kind of the way that that deck is gone trying to use ren and six in a deck like this because it's just a really good card of course is is really interesting not to be too surprised by that you know you can run in six or saga a bunch of times you can do all kinds of stuff once you once you go down that path make really huge uh, construct tokens instead or they, there's just a lot of dimensions to this deck and so that's why i think that it's just going to get this is going to get more and more and more popular as time goes on i think for now yeah I mean, it's it's just a, it's a combo deck that doesn't rely on the combo, but like the co- the opponent has to like play around the combo all the time, and like just makes people play in awkward ways. So it's just it's it's a, a deck like this is frequently one of the best decks in the format, and and we're seeing it here being more popular and winning a lot. And I really can't slash can believe there's just a version that jams Ren and Six because every deck's better with Ren and Six. Like yeah it's, it's just it's it's wild that hey just getting a hitting your land drops is really valuable <laughs> with the planeswalker that threatens an ultimate yep so big up arrow this if there's any deck that i think is smaller in the meta right now versus what's it's going to get bigger in the meta as far as just representation goes this is the one that i have my biggest eye on because according to goldfish this is only three percent of the meta or two percent of the meta and i don't think that's going to last you know what i think dave I think you should play it for an upcoming episode. I think you should play it for an upcoming episode. <laughs> no, I've got something else I want to play. Oh, jeez. You're going to make me do this one? Oh, okay. It looks like a Dave deck. It kind of it, It's like the latest evolution of Prowess meets Murktide, meets Combo, meets KCI, meets the Werewolf Man. 
meets Abbott and Costello. I was with you until those last couple. All right, let's talk about the last deck that I think is in the mainstream meta. Then we'll take a little break. And that is Shadow. Grixis Shadow has some stuff going on. It's kind of hanging on here at the bottom of the meta on Goldfish's page. I think that um, there's some interesting stuff going on with it. Uh, there were three lists, essentially, that were Shadow lists in this particular deck dump. There's Grixis Death Shadow from Adorno 666. It's a stock list for Shredder, a little bit heavier on creatures than what things were maybe six months ago before Shredder was printed. We've talked about that a few times. There's another list that we'll double back to in a second from magic online mystery person selfie seek the person who's known as the inventor of the mardu pyromancer deck can't ever figure out who they are but they have 5-0 with a deck list that is essentially grixis death shadow we'll come back to that and then finally there's a demir death shadow deck from Tekazu that is more like a shadow plus murktide counter threats no red cards it's just demir uh you have big threats and shredder basically so what I wanted to talk about is the really wild deck in this list is the one from Selfie Sec, which is it's Grixis Death Shadow with six less creatures and more spells, but there's no shadow in this list, and the payoff is Telerian Terror from Dominaria instead. Other than that, it's pretty much just Death Shadow list. Uh, it's more like Gurmag Angler than a shadow, I think, Telerian Terror, and has Ward 2, which is really interesting. I think it's a good thing when Selfie Sick is trying things out. And the thing that I wanted to mention about this particular list is that when I was doing research on this, I looked up Selfie Sick and what they've been up to lately. And it kind of looks like they took off about six months from Magic and came back a month ago when Telerian Terror was printed. And they've had a 5-0 in five deck dumps in the last month with this same list or something wow. close to it. Basically, <laughs> Grixis Death Shadow, no shadow, Telerian Terror instead. When a card like Telerian Terror just brings people back to the format, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I, exactly. I mean, I love it just because this person is someone who is, has hopped on a couple of really interesting deck lists at different points in time. So I think mostly I just want to spend a minute here just saying, welcome back to the grind. Selfie sick. Let's, let's see where it goes from here. So... Grixis Death Shadow. I never really understand when Death Shadow is a quote unquote good deck or not good deck anymore. Do you know what I mean? Like what what about it makes makes it better or worse in a metagame? Like like you look at the list and I definitely rather play it on its face than like Rakdos Midrange, like the non-scam version. Like I just I don't really understand why decks like these aren't just better than most everything else. Like almost everything's one mana. You have removal, you have hand interaction, you have counter magic, you have strong creatures, you have ways to filter through your deck with like your DRC and your ledger shredder. And so like what is going and your on? EI. So yeah, like so what is the issue with this deck? Is it just like, you know, uh Hidexigu consumes all? Or like no, I mean it's obviously not that, but like what is the reason that people are off this deck? I mean, I think that about 2% of people being on it is pretty normal for Grixis mm -hmm. Death Shadow right now. I think it could could be higher, sure. But um, I think that it versus Murktide is the big question, really, because this is just a different take on a Ragavan tempo deck, right? And there's not too many of those. And I think a lot of people go over to Murktide because uh, this deck is really vulnerable can be really vulnerable to like go wide aggro and can be really vulnerable to burn. 
And so if there's a lot of stuff in there that's going to punish you for doing damage to yourself with your mana to make your Death Shadows big, Drix's Death Shadow is going to have a tough tough time in, in the meta. Um, I also think that there are just strategies that if the format really isn't that disrupted by a single thought seize, this deck can get a little bit harder to play with too. Yeah, I think it's also partially Drown in the Lock. Like when Drown in the Lock is good, this is just the best Drown deck. And Drown in the Lock is good when you need a equal spread of Terminate and Counterspell. I also think people are going to have a hard time putting down their turn one Thought Seizes. And that's probably still top five things you can do on turn one in the format. Not as good as a Ragavan, probably not even as good as a Dragon's Rage Channeler. But, you know, if you're worried about Indomitable Creativity, for instance, I don't hate a turn one Thought Seize deck from time to time. Yeah, I mean, I think the big problem is against four-color control, turn one Thought Seize didn't really do a lot because they had a lot of ways to recover from that kind of card disadvantage. If you're <laughs> oh, yeah. playing against decks where you can take advantage of that card targeted card, you know, card hand attack, then thought seize can be good. But this isn't backed up by a deep suite of thought seizes anymore. It's just four thought seeds. So the hand disruption is really targeted now. Whereas something like scam can go out and just blast somebody and take three cards from them and they'll cross the first two turns. Um, I think that that can be a lot harder for someone to catch up with than what Shadow does. So it has to be a lot more directed, like you said. Against creativity, I think it's pretty good, right? I think against other decks that are vulnerable to a turn one grief plus feign death, Grixis Death Shadow might be too not disruptive enough, basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that there's a world where Grixis Death Shadow is hard to find a home because its plan is too utilitarian, Almost. It's like, I've got aggressive creatures, and I've got creature removal, and I've got counter spells, and I've got hand disruption. And so it's kind of like, you're not all in enough on one of those axes of disruption, or two of them, since most decks generally play with two of them. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. All right, let's take a quick break. And then when we return, we're going to talk about the second half of the metagame with such beautiful, beloved strategies as humans, mill, trons and others. Stay with us. So you all, you know, of course, I, I was I was on vacation. Like, I don't take all that, the big shaving tubs with me. I'm using, I, I literally used a tiny can of like Edge, you know what I mean? Like the blue, like yeah. the, the blue stuff that smells smells like smells like grandfathers so yeah and so i came back and then i this this past weekend i got to spend some time with one of my one of my favorite classics of the barrister and man lineup okay and it is it was waves and i i know that stan you're a you're, you're not a fragrance a file you like more of the tame things and i i think waves is is pretty tame but dave have you ever have you ever sampled the waves from barrister and man i have not sampled the waves Oh man, I guess it's just me and Craig out there holding holding waves down. Craig from the Dive Down Nation, also a big Waves fan. But so let me I'm gonna tell you a little bit about the Waves. And I'm I'm currently going to the finely remodeled Barrister and Man website. So this what's interesting about Waves, it is uh resurrected from the early years of aquatics. This is very will by the way, right? Resurrecting old fragrances. Fresh, stylish blend of sea notes, lavender, geranium, and bergamot that smells great on anyone and goes with absolutely anything. I would say this is really true because importantly, 
these soaps, of course, and aftershaves, they aren't meant not to stick around all day. And what Waves does really well for me is it pairs well with any kind of fragrance I want to wear. After that, uh, I love I love me some Waves. What are you guys into lately in terms of your Barrister and Man portfolio? Because we have so much right now. I know that you're into the soaps and whatnot. What smells are floating your boats? I'm into, into the Muir Woods. Oh, yeah. Right How now, that? the one that How recently that? just came out, it's great. It has that kind of smoky scent that we talked about earlier this this uh, a couple of weeks ago. I just made it through my sample bar, and I'm about to go back and get some more so I can have a full so- full fall of excellent tree scents. Awesome. So, what's important about all of this is there are you know seasonals like the the Mere Woods and the Four Horsemen. There are staples of the line like Waves. If you're into any of these things, head on over to Barrister and Man M A Double N dot com. You can get some shaving soaps, some body soaps, some fragrances, uh, all that kind of stuff for you and yours as the holidays come up, or just uh, any, you know for a special someone at random times. Use code the Dive Down fifteen, the Dive Down fifteen for fifteen percent off your first order over at Barrister and Man, and that lets Will know you came through us, and we appreciate it. All right, here we are. Post-break, let's talk about things that are outside the mainstream. We're going to go through these pretty fast. It's probably about half of the decks. There's probably about 30 decks for us to talk to. They do still fall into categories, though. We're going to have a little less emphasis on if we think these are up arrow or not, and we're just going to talk about things that are cool, weird, and interesting from what we saw in this deck dive. The first category of things that I think people are considering bringing back from the brink, with Yorion being banned. It's a deck I completely forgot about. That is Mill. A number of people on Twitter excited that they can get their Mill decks out again because there aren't 80-card decks floating around anymore. There were two Mill decks in this 5-0 deck drop. One was Demir Mill. It's exactly what you would expect from Plato 1011. The second deck was Wild, though. There's an Azorius Mill deck in here that essentially has, you know, we saw some Azorius decks that were kind of controlling elements plus mill plus the blue mill. That's not what this is. This is a deck full of Ranger Captain of Eos, Ranger of Eos, Solitude, Esper Sentinel, Teferi Time Raveler, brought back. Prismatic Ending are the white cards in here, along with Archive, Tasha's Hideous Laughter, Visions of Beyond, and the Crabs. Um, by my read, and this is by Shazak Chan, congratulations on an interesting deck, at the very least. It looks to me like what this deck is trying to do is make sure that you always have crabs in play. Use some of the best mill cards to be able to close people off. Have a little bit of a plan to attack with if you want to, but really have this tutoring package to make sure that you can get you know, two crabs with Ranger of Eos if you want to. You can use Ranger of Eos to go and get an Esper Sentinel or a Jace's Phantasm if you want. This deck is just wild <laughs> to me. I do not have a lot of faith in Mill. No, I don't have a lot of faith in this particular deck list either. Like, I just don't see a lot of, like, really legitimately brought back targets. And it's just a, it's a wild list. Like, if I was going to play Mill, I'd probably play something more stock, like Plato 1011. But, you know... What am I going to do with Mill? I do think a lot of people are going to try to play it again. So I think if you are playing Moto a lot over the next three weeks, you should be ready for it and 
kind of brush up on how to beat mill with whatever deck you're playing with, or maybe consider putting that Emrakul in the sideboard that people do sometimes, whatever. But this is more of a public service announcement than anything else that the mill players want to come back. They want to bring their toys back out. Yeah. Brought back plus Ranger Captain is cool. And I guess you can solitude it too. It's like a cheap solitude ephemerate combo. Yeah. It's just a lot more awkward to play with, I think, than yeah. like ephemerate, but interesting stuff. All right. Next category. This is a deck that Stan has some familiarity with. Scape Shift. There were three different Scape Shift decks in this particular 5 0 drop. There was a Teamer Scape Shift desk deck by cookie kid zero zero a four color omnath scapeshift deck by oz senpai and then a jund soul of wind grace scapeshift deck that was trying to do some other stuff <laughs> with scapeshift and and land drops that also in 5-0 by switch john i think that these decks could still be okay right now it's sort of you know the omnath one in particular is really just your four color shell with a combo close mm-hmm and that's really what it is. Yeah, you know, just like a scrappy control deck that can play um, Ren and Six to to basically hit all its land drops and eventually like find a win condition. And if you can keep your opponents on the back foot long enough with mediocre interaction, Valakut will just kill them sometimes. Yeah, the land-based kill is hard, right? The land-based kill is like, you know, something that's hard for people to interact with. So if you have Dryad out, you know, the, the Teamer Scapeshift deck, I believe, is running Dryad as well, right? Like, if you have Dryad out and you naturally draw into a Valakit, sometimes you can just kill someone in a way that they can't interact with. It just takes time. And then other times you get to just kill them with Scapeshift as well when they kind of let their guard down. Yeah. I, I don't think this is going to be the this the same deck in the format, even if, like, the cards are the same. It's just not going to have, like, the, the application of I'm expecting a ton of four-color Omnath decks, I'm going to scape shift them out of the tournament, but I still think Brennan six plus Omnath is a good duo that scape shift is probably an all right choice. If, if you want to beat people with fire design cards, how about Ren of six, Renin six plus soul of wind grace, huh? Maybe we'll just come back to that some other time, but <laughs> interesting stuff. Uh, uh, yeah. I don't know. Like I, have you guys ever heard me say, I want to try Jund? <laughs> no, but I want I want to try like this Soul of Windrace Jun deck, and if not me, I want to assign it to Shane. Oh God, to just be completely frustrated by. I, this is the episode where I assign my co-host decks that I want to play but don't have the time to. Wow, I mean, I do get to play three Knights Whisper in this like Jund Scapeshift deck. A lot of Knights yeah. Whisper in this particular uh, deck dump. I gotta say. All right, let's go on to Tron. Tron is the next one here. There were two Tron decks in this drop. There was an Eldrazi Tron and a Mono Green Tron. Surprisingly, thankfully, no Mono Blue Tron in this <laughs> drop for us to talk about this time. I, I, I got nothing on Tron right now. I, I mean, I, don't know. I, I have to admit something. I don't think Tron has what it takes to legitimately compete anymore. There's just there's no Modern Horizons 2 cards in the deck, and that makes you a bad deck now. Wow. Like, wow. like the world we live in is where like putting two warping whale into your main deck is like your adaption to a metagame. Like, no, it's not going to carry you. Shane, ruthless, ruthless. <laughs> yeah, I agree with with mono green. I I kind of just think the deck is bad, not just because of the lack of MH two cards, but the lack of four color control is assuming there's going to be fewer four color control decks like that's one fewer deck for tron to to kind of beat up on and 
some of the decks that are taking up the metagame share, especially Hammer and Murktide, I think are really good against Tron. So I'm not sure who Mono Green Tron is really itching to beat right now, except maybe Creativity, maybe. Um, Eldrazi Tron, on the other hand, I actually think has slightly more potential, just because Big Beaters plus Karn can sometimes do the thing. That's yep. it. That, that's why I think it's a little bit less scary. Turn three Karn Liberated is also going to sometimes do the thing, but it's just hard to get a turn three Karn Liberated on the board these days is, I think, the, the real issue. A lot of Spell Pierces floating around main deck. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. Oh my God, Spell Pierce. There's like Remands popping up in decks all of a sudden, which is really surprising to me. But even like all the control decks, Murktide, Azorius, otherwise, like... They're playing four counter spells. A lot of them are also opting for Archmage's Charm. I just think that's a little bit too much for Mono Green to, to fight through. Yeah. All right. Let's go on. We have a, the next bucket that we have here is what I would call assertive decks, uncategorized assertive decks, headlined by two pretty interesting decks that have been getting a little bit more popular and a little bit of uh, play on Twitter is Domain Zoo. There's two Domain Zoo lists. One is from. Alex yes. Phil, 000, and then the other one is from Kachibuo. Uh, and they're slightly different decks. They One of them is kind of a multicolor payoff deck that has General Ferris Rockerick in there. It has Sign of Draco. It has Territorial. Or I guess they all kind of had Territorial Kavu. It has Lightning Helix. It has Cascading Bloodbraid Elf into Shardless Agent into other cards dot deck going on here so it's a combination cascade multicolored payoff and domain list and then the other one is much more just kind of we're playing wild nakadal neshoba brawler territorial kavu ragavan cyanid draco it even has stubborn denial for a little bit of main deck disruption and that's kind of what it is no no rocker in this one i think they're both interesting decks i really would l- love a world where tribal flames plus leyline binding makes sense mm-hmm. as a shell to start with i'm not sure which creature suite is better i prefer the one that has less creature or has lower curve creatures in it mm-hmm. it's a little more aggressive that's where i would start same but the one with tons of cascade cards in it is pretty interesting too i love this deck i love the one that you you like too, Dave, the one that's just 20 creatures and like some interaction, including four stubborn denial and two remand. Remember I mentioned remands popping up? Yep, Here it is. Sure did. I, I, this is the deck I'm going to play next. This is just new tribal zoo. Like this is like, like Nishoba brawler is just loam lion. Like it's, right, it's but, never but, good enough. But, but it's tribal zoo with potentially one of the best removal spells ever. Like Leyline binding is so good. Plus, turn two Scion of Draco. You you seen you haven't you cast a turn two Scion, Shane? I mean, I just don't think this deck is winning off of the back of creatures. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't think like creature decks are are not like the are not winning matchups because like they're just presenting threats anymore. Like, I just don't think I can't think of any deck that's doing this particularly well uh, right now. So it's just like I mean, I'm not I'm not saying it's like it's actively bad. I'm just saying I can't imagine this deck being actively much better than other strategies that get to present uh, threats that are also removal spells or also hand interaction spells or you know all the kind of stuff that we're used to these days there is going to be space somewhere for some kind of aggro list i in my heart i i want that to be true is it this one i don't know i do think 
kind of buttressing an aggro strategy with, like Stan said, Leyline Binding, and then also a two-mana sorcery that does five damage to the dome. What is it? Two-mana Lava Axe? Is that what that is? Yeah, it's two-mana Lava Axe. Lava Axe is potentially good. I, I used to play the Domain Zoo list when we had Tarmogoyf instead of Neshoba Brawler. You know, the Trample makes a difference. Territorial Kavu is a much better card than people realize. It has way more text on it than people oh, think yeah. it does. Yeah. Oh, know? yeah. And so, but keep in mind, most of these cards were available when Modern Horizons 2 came out. It's really Leyline Binding that I think is the difference maker here and maybe a little bit of trying to figure out the right way to build the deck. Um, but I would try this. You know, at the very least, it wouldn't take that long to get through a league. All right, let's move on. Other other weird aggro. Jeskai Stoneblade from Aspiring Spike. Who? I have no idea what this is. It's a red-white ephemerate list that has fervent champion in it i think it's interesting you know let's keep an eye on it since it's, a, it's an aspiring spike deck it might pop up more there's a saga burn deck or what m hayashi has called saga burn um pretty cool artifact deck it has experimental synthesizer it has galvanic blast it's really unique kind of build for this kind of thing but as usual yeah it's at Mahayashi, so we can't we can't ever predict what's going to happen there. Like, I mean, you look at this and you're like, if if this is better than burn, because it's clearly like a burn type strategy. Like, is everyone else just wrong? And like, M. Hayashi is right. Like, it's like I feel like that's the world we always live in. Like, is M. Hayashi just right, and everyone else is 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 dumb? I don't get it. I, well, you know what I think is that M. Hayashi would do better with decks like this than with decks like burn, even when burn is a really good deck. Yeah. You know, I think I think he he builds this decks for him to win with, and that's just something yeah. you'll never understand, Shane. That's a good point. I'm not a brewer. You don't understand me. You don't no. understand me. I can't believe that this deck has Voldaren Epicure in it in a modern five zero. Well, I mean, it does make two pieces of cardboard for a single mana, so I guess we shouldn't be that surprised that it found a home somewhere. But well, yeah. it, it's also I think the blood token to go with Galvanic Blast or Shrapnel Blast. Well, that that's what I mean. It makes it makes two pieces of cardboard. One that you can shrapnel right. or yeah so it, sure. it makes sense but still i will say there's no reinforced ronin in here this felt like the deck that could have been reinforced ronin someday so sorry shane i know we argued about that card i guess it's never gonna it's never gonna be a thing no shane didn't like it either i was the one who was like maybe this is it but i think that was the only card from from neon dynasty that i liked that didn't pan out i think yeah. he was i think he was well, apologizing to me because i was i was as usual was correct yeah <laughs> i liked it and he didn't so that's that's the apology from six months earlier. All right, Infect is the last deck here. It is Green Black Infect, Rogue Assertive deck number five. Green Black Infect. Here it is. Yep, sure is. There it goes. Yep, there it goes. Sorry, I don't think it's the time for Infect right now, especially if anybody is playing Leyline. Well, it doesn't work. Leyline Binding doesn't work here. Like that's the only angle to this deck that makes sense. Really, is just how good is the Phyrexian Infect that I for actually crusader, right? Because it's resilient to red and white mana. That's, that's what it all comes down to. All right. Next bucket, a whole lot of mid range. <laughs> we have Jund from Kumi Jund saga with soul of wind grace and no Liliana. That's where we're at in Jund. In case you were wondering, we don't play Liliana. We play soul of wind grace. Now there's a rock list from electric Bob it's a black-green Reclaimer Saga list, so it uses Elvish Reclaimer to be able to, you know, you can sacrifice lands, tutor up other lands, all that kind of stuff that Elvish Reclaimer does. Rakdos Sacrifice 
This is Grief and Fury and Goblin Bombardment and Mayhem Devil. It's got Malakir Rebirth, so you can do a little bit of the Undying thing if you want to. It's got a playset of those. It doesn't have the other cards. But this is a kind of cool recycle creatures to be able to kill people with Goblin Bombardment list. There's a Ponza list here from Mad Muso. Oh, Recto Sacrifices from Pink Ranger. And then there's a mono red mid-range deck of course from m hayashi and another mono red mid-range deck from random card or random deck is the pilot's name a lot of people in here trying to figure out how to do mid-range in, in other ways a little bit more than usual i feel like a lot of times these rogue areas are just filled with mono red different mono red mid-range from m hayashi <laughs> i have noticed that anytime soul of wind grace appears in a tweet it's very glowing People have been really high on this card in Jund strategies. We noticed it in Escape Shift too. I, that's why I'm saying basically for the first time in my life, like I kind of want to try Jund just to see what Wind Grace is about. Plus, Fable of the Mirror Breaker is appearing in some of those decks too. I think is an interesting angle for for mid range in general as a way to you know generate some mana, copy Tarmogoyfs, dig through your deck for the actual good cards in the matchup. So yeah, Jund uh, Jund I almost feel like is a little bit more interesting right now than. Death Shadow, just because Tarmogoyf yeah. is probably like as good as any other big threat in a world with Leyline Binding and, and Unholy Heat. Yeah, I think I think that that's, that's potentially true as well. I am pretty appealed by Soul of Windgrace as well. I'd love to try it out. As far as these lists go, that's probably the one that I would try, be the most inclined to try. The rest of these, it's I just want to salute you for continuing to try to figure out how to mid-grind in today's yeah. modern Someone want to take Shane, this next Shane, Shane, yeah. Shane, what would you... Yeah, yeah. Hold yeah, on. Yeah, Shane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shane, Shane, how would you mid-range? <sighs> would you Ponza? Man, what would I do? <laughs> I feel like I would want to learn like a Racto Sacrifice Bombardment style deck with Grief and Fury and Mayhem Devil and stuff like that. Just for kicks. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be very bad at it. Only at first. I mean, these these are the kind of decks that I see like you know, Spike returned to every now and then, and even he is like missing lethal lines, and he's like, you know, and he's just so good with decks like this. Like, you know, it takes me at least three matches to be as good as him. I don't have that kind of time. Up next, we have uh, stuff I barely want to talk about. We've got like humans, <laughs> aether vile. We have aether vile decks, right? These are all aether correct. Vile decks, yeah, these so. these are aether vile decks with the exception of elves, which is okay. not an aether vile deck, but tribal and vile. We've got Goblins by Plato Nguyen. We've got Naya Elves with Dark Drifter. We have uh, Gimme Gimme with Humans. We have two different Merfolk decks. Somehow, these two pilots made Merfolk decks different enough to get lists. Buy-in and MTG Cree. And then Death and Taxes by V for Value. First off, my friends, what happened to Goblins? Like, does, did Goblins just not really have what it takes to like be a legitimate contender in today's modern or what? Like, it just kind of fell off after winning that first challenge, I feel like, more or less. Well, yeah, Fury, I think it's Fury right. happened. Fury and Solitude, I think, are yeah. a problem. Are continuing to happen. I think this deck is, of most of the decks that are down in this outside of the meta, this is another one that I would identify as being having a big, still a big chance to be good. Like, this is the closest to good deck I think we've seen on the list below this line so far. Um, I mean, it, it came in yeah. fourth in Saturday's Challenge, for instance, and then 14th by Plato to win yet again on the Sunday's Challenge. So it still is putting up results, but I don't think it's kind of like a new tier one contender necessarily, like I think a lot of people were hoping for. 
Yeah. It's also not getting widely adopted, you know? So I just think that there's not, it's not really getting much more popular. It's kind of just, it's a niche deck. It's still good. It's the best Aether Vial deck in modern, I think by a long shot. And here it is. And one, this is one of the best pilots of the deck as well in this drop, just getting their, you know, farming their trophies. My big question from this is, Stan, you looked at this Naya Elves list. What do you think of this Naya Elves list? What do you think? No. Okay, fair. Yeah, I, th- I think the answer is no. I mean, it's it's really a mono green Elves deck that has yeah. like a couple of white cards and a Magus of the Moon in the side. But yep. game one, you're you're just mono green. It's, yeah, I, I you're not beating a metagame full of Fury and Solitude and Fire Ice and Renin Six. I, I just think... You need like some really big injections from legacy decks to make elves a little bit more explosive. And I don't think the cards that make elves good in legacy can ever live in modern, except perhaps Wirewood Symbiote. Yep. All right. Merfolk, we just talked about a couple of weeks ago. Humans and death and taxes, you know, always out here trying to make make the dream work. I don't think there was anything too wild about either one of these lists personally. So maybe we just keep moving. Yeah, I mean, I think the the best deck on the best decks on this list are goblins. Even though Fury and Solitude are a big problem, I think goblins being a combo deck that can win very suddenly with enough mana is is quite powerful and worth keeping an eye on. And I think Merfolk is probably the most interactive of these decks. Is it more interactive than humans? It feels more interactive than humans because it's a blue deck. But I feel like Merfolk of these decks. Other than Goblins, the one that we will continue to see, like in top 32s and even the occasional top eight. Yeah, yeah. But congrats to everybody who did manage to get trophies with these lists. Maybe we will see. There's always a potential for these decks to get like one card and then become amazing tribal decks again. All right. Next up, Urza Thopter Affinity. We had a Thopter combo list from Pidboo, an Affinity seven cast list from Skipchino, and then a second Affinity list from Tezzy. There's one combo list, really, and then two aggro lists. They're, these haven't changed too much. They haven't gotten more popular. They haven't gotten less popular, I don't think. But So I think the affinity versions have an up arrow because they're really good against Merktide. And if Merktide continues to be the most popular deck in the format post-ban, I see these decks having like a lot of good leagues ahead of them. Thopter combo is one of those decks that requires an archetype master to play. And I think we see... Fewer people want to go that route right now with Thopter Combo. Still a fine deck to pick up if you're good with it and it's your strategy. If you're my buddy Martin. But the Affinity decks I can kind of just see being a little bit more popular since they go wide and they draw a ton of cards and they beat up on one of the top dogs in the format right now. Yep. Next up, uncategorized creature combo. (laughs) Category is creature combo. So this is Enchantress, Sahili combo, and Devoted combo and what these really are is enchantress is kind of what you'd expect from that deck it's your en- enchantment prison kind of strategy sahili combo it's a clean jeskar felidar jeskai felidar combo with ephemerate and elementals i think that this is one of those things where the idea is let's take a combo finish and power it up with pitch cards which i think is actually a strategy that makes a ton of sense in modern right now and then the last one is devoted druid with Luxior combo without the Planeswalker kind of stuff that Luxior sometimes does as well. All right, I want to talk for a second about the Sahili deck. It's bizarre, but also every card kind of makes sense. Ephemerate for your Furies and Solitudes, 
fine. And even like sometimes for a season pyromancer, I guess that's cool. Three Chalice of the Void, three Blood Moon. Blood Moon in a Jeskai deck. Essentially forcing you to like get basics. Fetch up basics constantly. I th- I think that's interesting. I it, it even has three prismatic vistas, I guess, just to acknowledge the fact that it really needs to sometimes fetch up four of its five basic lands to, to function. I don't even know what the one basic mountain is doing here personally, but there's probably a a, a, a good reason for it. It it almost looks like a, a weird prison deck, right? With like the chalice, the blood moon, and the teferis. And it's like this weird prison control deck that has everything except for ensnaring bridge to just like keep your opponent on the back foot until you can get down either a Sahili Rai with, with copycat combo or just like eventually beat down with, with Fury and Solitudes. Yeah. I think you saw I think that sums it up. But yeah, the, the mana seems pretty fragile to be going at it with Blood Moon as well. I wonder if there would be better cards if you abandoned some of the prisoniness of this and went for card draw? More card draw than expressive iteration, perhaps? Mm-hmm. I have to admit, I forgot the luckier combo existed with like Devoted Druid. Oh, yeah. yeah p- people were hype. Yeah, this is one that I am a little surprised didn't work out a little more than it has. It's sort of like people talked about it and then it just never went anywhere. Maybe it just didn't get any high-profile people to adopt it and really tune it, or maybe it's just bad. Either either one is possible. But um, interesting to see it here. Let's go on to the next category, since you know I want to spend some time on this. There were three and a half prowess decks here. There were two is it prowess decks, one mono red prowess, and a phoenix deck piloted by Chahi, Sight Winner, Chase 00111, and Nils Fit, respectively. Here's what people are doing with this deck, with prowess anyway. They're putting Underworld Breach in prowess still. They're putting Underworld Breach in Prowess. They're using that to be able to value, get a bunch of extra cards, combo off, do a bunch of damage. You know, one of the decks is Red plus Ledger Shredder, EI, and Breach. That seems like a solid strategy if you're going to try this. There's another one that's Red Aggro plus Harmonic Prodigy, a little bit of Blue and Breach. Okay, I think that's fine too. So they're like barely is it lists. The mono red deck is actually running Electrostatic Infantry from Dominaria United, which is the trample one two that gets a plus one plus one counter on it. Uh, I still don't know why that card is better than Sprite Dragon. Maybe it is, but if you're already barely splashing blue in some lists, I get that this one is mono red, but like, okay, I guess. And then, uh, you know, there's a Phoenix list in here that has four Demi Lich and Faith of Salvaging, which is it always warms my heart to see uh, that someone can make it happen. But the bottom line for me with the, these is this is not the right way to Underworld Breach. I don't, I don't think it, that there's really enough power in these decks to make it make sense to do this strategy with Underworld Breach instead of just doing the actual Breach combo list that has good aggressive starts and then has a way to combo finish if you feel like you have to go that way as well. Yeah, I mean, I kind of just think like if you're playing Underworld Breach in these decks, it's just to like bolt, bolt, yeah, gut shot for for the win sometimes, and it's yep. it's like it's just value. It's an extra prowess trigger sometimes that lets you like maybe get you know a prowess trigger is one point of damage, bolt is three, so like somewhere like four to six extra points of damage off of your two mana. Like maybe if you look at it that way, it's not so bad, right? But I do think. Breach is going to get banned someday. <laughs> Sorry to bring that up. And these wait, decks wait, are going to be uh, 
you know, they're going to lose their pet toy. Does, is, is breach plus a electrostatic infantry, like a pseudo combo just because it has trample and you can like put a bunch of cards in your yard to get a bunch of spell triggers. And then your electrostatic infantry is like swinging for lethal that gets through off trample. Yeah, I mean, but Soulscar Mage plus Crash Through, it does the same thing. You know, it's really not that amazing in that sense. And and Crash Through would draw you a card. So I don't. But Breach you know, is drawing you cards. Like, right. But Crash Through draws you one card. <laughs> imagine them together Breach and Crash Through, Stan. <laughs> draw a card and get Prowess Triggers over and over again. Yeah, I, I think the good thing about Crash Through there is it's something to exile for the. Uh, yeah, out of your graveyard the, for the escape cost. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I, I, you know, I think that yeah, that that's probably the idea of what's going on here. But I have doubts. Still have doubts. Sorry. I know that there's a lot of these lists here, but uh, I, you know, I wish that they were good. All right, we're going to go through these last two really quickly, really, really quickly. The last two buckets are mono black control esque decks. One is mono black coffers. It's Karn coffers. Invoke despair. We're casting a lot of big cards. We're doing stuff. And then the other one is 8-Rack. Hello, 8-Rack. Nice to see you. Long time, first time. Hello, um, Dave. It's, hello, it's, Dave. It's Dan. It's Dan. Hello. It's 8-Stan. So is, is Mono Black Coffer is like secretly better than we think or secretly worse than we think? I think it was better than we used to think, and now it's as bad as we do think. Hmm. I actually think Mono Black Coffers is really going to struggle against Leyland Binding in particular because the best thing that that deck had going for it f- for a while was Karn or the occasional Liliana kind of taking over a game until Invoke Despair could get the kill. And for that reason, I think every once in a while this deck will draw out the games long enough that Invoke Despair will get you. But I don't think it's necessarily operating on an axis that actually attacks the meta from a particularly meaningful way. Today, with its current shell, eight rack. I just have pretty big doubts about it in general. I think it's a little bit of a meme here. And then the last bucket we have is Belcher by Micrograms, Green Black Asmo Food, and a sort of non-dredge dredge brew that kind of did man well in a league randomly. These are kind of the random list. Although I threw Belcher here in the junk drawer. I know I did. Um, it's just that it hasn't had a lot of finishes lately. Yeah, where's it been? And I think, yeah, I think if you look at, well, I mean, it has a problem with Boseju. No, oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah, and Counterspells in general. Yeah, although, you know, a Counterspell, they can pack to Negation, or pack to, is that what it is? Yes. Pact it. Yeah. Yes, but not can't a... Can't pack a Boseju. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Boseju plus Round and Six, I guess, is, is kind of maybe the thing that killed it. Even worse. Yeah. Right. You know, but Belcher's always going to be hovering out there. I, I don't know if, you know, having it in the quote-unquote junk drawer is not the right way, because obviously this is the other deck with a pedigree that's down here, certainly even above Goblins. This this really is one of the, you know, decks that could easily jump back into Tier 1 uh, from the rest of these. Or not even Tier 1, the tiered area, let's say. All right, so that's it. We made oh, it through everything. it. We have a couple minutes left. That's everything, everything. Can we take a second to say which decks... From this dump, I, I, I think I, I named them as we were going along, mm-hmm. um, but I'm curious to hear, like, what jumped out at you while you guys were taking notes? Like, did you see anything in here that was like, I'm willing to give this a shot for science? It seems like it could be a fun thing to to mess around with, even if I go 4-1 the bad way. 
One four. I guess one four is the bad way. Four one sounds pretty good. <laughs> so I am I am after being called out for this, I am definitely willing to get one fours for this show on Breach. Nice. Sure. Oh, perfect. I did I'll it. I'll do it. I did it, y'all. I'll do it for you. I'm not super excited about it. I will say I own a playset of Mox Ambers and that's a place to start. So Yeah, those aren't humble. Those brag. haven't been cheap for years. Like it's been uh you know, just only steadily up and up and up. Um okay. I feel like I could play Hammer again. I don't think any of us have touched Zorius Hammer, especially. Uh, yeah. In terms of something I could, I'd, I'd want to play Grixis Death Shadow. Maybe that's probably much harder than uh, I have the skill set for. Um, yeah, that's really kind of what I would. It's like I'm looking at these lists, and like so few things are the right combination of like power level slash things I want to play slash things I feel like I could competently play with the time I have available to me. And that's like, that's kind of a frustrating way to feel, I think, where it's just kind of like, uh, I don't know if I want to, and I don't know if I can. And that's why what I really want to play other than breach, I guess now is uh domain zoo. That's mm-hmm. what I would like to try and see if it's got a home or not. Well, I think you should just release the concern about playing it competently, Jane, just, you know, you can learn a lot about a deck and the format and the deck's kind of position in the format, even if you are somewhat incompetent the first time you give it a go. Sure. Yeah, I mean that's my that's my whole bit on the, the podcast. That, like this is <laughs> I've made it work for years. <laughs> this is the secret to Dave's forty plus years of success. Yeah. In business and I'm, development. I'm, I'm not doing it right, but I'm learning. <laughs> Have you, Shane, seen any decks running some newer cards that jumped out to you that you feel like we haven't touched on yet that maybe are a gap so this abdominal creativity deck runs this hard evidence card it makes a treasure <laughs> treasure token and a crab token gotcha uh, gotcha i mean so, what stuff that's new i mean i don't i actually don't think so dave there's only a few new cards in the drop there's neshoba brawler there's Leyline Binding, and there's Electrostatic Infantry. I didn't notice in the sideboards if there were any of the, like, Rend in Half or whatever that one card is called that's basically a modal um, utter end. But um, there's very few Dominary United cards in here. Hmm. Isn't the Rend in Half only Legacy Legal? Like, the that's from a... No, there's from- a... Yeah, I forget what it's called, but there's a card that's, like, you know, it's a, it's a colorless and a green, and it exiles a enchantment or artifact and then if you add a black and a colorless to it it becomes any permanent oh, or any okay. non-land permanent yeah anyway so yeah i mean uh you all out there if you listen to this episode and you're still still with us give a you know give us give us a tweet or an email or a message saying like you know what's what's floating your boat these days what do you think is cool in the meta stan what's your bottom line for where you're going i really want to play domain okay i want to play domain i want to try jund with yep. with soul of wind grace just to kind of see how a four drop operates in a deck like that yeah awesome more rhinos of course i still love rhinos of course get back in there get back in there rhinos from the top tier for me i think it's hammer time is where my mind is going as well if i'm not going to play rectos undying wow. which i'll probably play never saw that i did not see that coming dave hammer time for you no yeah i've never, never tried i haven't tried it in almost a year and a half so maybe it's time to try it again well, before you change your mind, let's wrap up this week's show. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast. So you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to submit a question to our show or just reach out in general, 
You can tweet us at the dive down, all one word, or email the dive down at gmail.com. If you'd like to support our show, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash the dive down. Also shout out to Mana Traders for sponsoring our show. Sign up for Mana Traders using promo code the dive down 15, all one word, to get 10% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. And also get some amazing shaving soaps, body soaps, fragrances, and more at Barrister and Man using promo code the dive down 15 for 15% off your first order. And then save some money on paper cards as well over at Nerd Rage Gaming with code DIVE8 for 8% off your order with NRG. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and explore the new format!